Hey everybody, Jonathan Dorr with you as always for the Catholic Teacher Daily Podcast. Thanks for tuning in, really great to have you with us. I've got a bit of an extra special treat for you today. We're going to share with you a great interview done earlier this week with the inimitable Anne Rini. Anne is a fantastic Catholic teacher who has a new book coming out. And I always jump at the chance to speak to uh, great Catholic teachers all around the world. So you're going to hear Anne's story, you're going to hear about her new book. And I think she captures so much of what's great in Catholic education. So that's about it from me. Let's do some housekeeping quickly. Please make sure you've subscribed to the podcast. That would be a big blessing. Leave a review if you'd like to. Everything else you can find on the website at onecatholicteacher.com. All right, let's do this. Everybody, welcome aboard. Let's have a discussion with Anne Rennie from Genazano SCJ College in Melbourne, Victoria. All right, Anne Rennie, welcome aboard to the Catholic Teacher Podcast. Great to have some time with you. Thanks for making time for us. Thank you very much, Jonathan. I'm pleased to be here. Now, I know some of my American listeners won't understand this incredibly important question that's uh, it's central to educators in the Australian state of Victoria. Which Australian rules football team do you support? <laughs> I go for the Tigers. Oh, uh, do Richmond. you? Richmond. Yeah, that, yellow that, and black. That, they've had a couple of good years, haven't they? They certainly have. Um, we've, we've got a fantastic player called Dustin Martin, yeah. uh, a couple of other really good players. We've got a really good coach. What Richmond has, though, they've got a, they're a club who are a community and they absolutely have each other's back. And I think even more than the football, it's that sense of um, a collective identity that really is pushes them each game. Yeah, I, I remember when I lived in Melbourne, I taught for a little while at uh, at uh, Marsland College in Berlin. It was oh, the last place yes, that I taught. Yeah. And I had mm. come from other parts of Australia. And I just remember every Friday, like all the staff would be in team colours. And uh, it was a thing. It was like just a real eye-opener for me how passionate people are down there. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, we talk about religion. Well, religion is football in Melbourne. <laughs> actually, it's interesting you mentioned it's a community because there's a there's quite a trend actually for for clubs to, you know, allow membership to be more and more active. I've noticed that just in a few clubs around the world that the most successful ones are kind of including more of the, uh, you know, the rank and file members and supporters in the, in the whole community. Yes, yes. Well, I think they're understanding that they – they don't want to have echelons. You know, we're, we're all in it together a, a lot, and I think they're understanding we've got to break down these barriers. Um, you know, supporters are, are passionate, are vocal. Um, they want their team to win. Um, yeah. They want to be included. So we should talk about something almost as important as Australian rules football, which is <laughs> Catholic education. Um, yes. And uh, what I wanted to do is we're going to talk a little bit in a minute about your new book that's coming out, which is really exciting, and we want everybody to hear about that. But um, what I thought we'd do is just I, I love hearing the stories of different Catholic educators, your journey in Catholic education, why you're still there, what keeps you getting up every day and, uh, and, and staying involved in the great adventure of Catholic education. So take us through the story. Well, the story started uh, well over 50 years ago uh, when I went to this particular school, Genetzano, in Kew, and I just had wonderful teachers, both uh, professed and lay, and I suppose over the course of my 12 years from prep, um, I learned to love the school and love the sisters and love what they represented. And I suppose they taught about a Jesus who was not wrathful but loving. So I, I, I got this sense of joy about being a Catholic. Um, it was, it was a, good, a good faith to be in. So I suppose that rubbed off on a, a fairly impressionable little, you know, holy communicant, but it's stayed there ever since. And was that part of your home experience too? Was, it, was the faith a big part of oh, home absolutely, life. yes. Oh, mother and father, um, and I'm the oldest of seven siblings, so they were very, very devout Catholics. Um, so we would be trotted along to Mass and confession, you know, regularly, um, and praying and grace and the saints and visiting monasteries. All those things were very much part of my growing up and, and yeah. very normal for, for the group that I moved in. All my friends were Catholic. Um, it was just what we did. We all came from fairly big families. Um, it was just the norm for us. And if you look back at your time as a student there, can you remember a particular religious sister or lay teacher that stands out for you? Oh, oh so many. Um, sister Mary Rose Dennehy, 
She taught me in year 12, um, Lit and uh, Renaissance History, uh, Sister Denise Mulcahy, Sister Joan Cartledge, all of these fabulous women who, who gave me a little bit of their heart. They, 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 what we often talk about in the Catholic education is about being named and known. And I really think they, they cared for the children uh, um, and they knew who they were. Um, they were just really fabulous women, good teachers, warm, um, and they let you be yourself. Um, oh, yeah. So I, was, I always thanked my parents for my really fortunate education at Jen uh, because it, it, it made me who I am. If you look back at that experience again as a student, what's one big takeaway that you, how did it shape you? How did it sort of shape your spirituality, your experience as a student at a Catholic school like that? Well, I suppose it just, in my core of being, it just made me a person who was responsive to to things of faith. Um, I'd never, and I suppose in some ways I was quite a biddable student and I liked all the all the theatre of the church as well. You know, I liked going to mass. I liked singing with the guitar group. Uh, I liked all that sort of stuff. So that sense of community and belonging um, and understanding, uh, uh, you know, that common understanding between people of a faith so that when you're travelling, for example, you meet another Catholic who may not even speak your language, but you've got something in common. Mm-hmm. And, and I love that universality of, of, of the, the, the Catholic faith. That is so true. We've been blessed over the years to do a huge amount of travel. And when I was still teaching, Karen and I uh, got a chance to take a Maris group to Bougainville. And mm-hmm. this was back in uh, maybe early 2000s and the Civil War was still pretty fresh. And, uh, you know, we we had this experience of going to Mass. And, uh, you, you know, a lot of the villagers actually would walk sometimes for hours and hours just to get there. And they put on this amazing spread of food that everybody brings. And then we're in this tiny little wooden church. Uh, you know, men and women were segregated culturally there. The, the women sit on one side, the men sit on the other. And uh, the singing was incredible. And, you know, to have, been, to have been there, to like to have experienced the faith in Bougainville and then to have experienced it uh, a couple of years ago, we were in Iceland and... Uh, and heading to mass in in Iceland was uh, extraordinary. So I, love, I think you make a great point. There's there's you, you, once you once you really imbibe the faith, you realise how truly Catholic and universal it can be. So let me ask you: once you had your time there, once you'd finished as a student, tell us about your journey into Catholic ed- becoming a Catholic educator. Right. Okay. Well, my journey was a very belated one. As I, as I say to friends, it was very circumnavigational. So I went to university. I went and worked for a couple of years. I went travelling for eight years, came back, did a writing course, met my husband, got married, thought, well, I better grow up now. I'm, you know, my late 30s, did a dip ed and worked in a couple of other schools. Um, I wanted to work in the Catholic sector because that's where my heart is. And then a job came up. And I thought, well, this is my old school and this is where I started and maybe I can do the full circle. So I applied and I got the job at Jen in 2008 and have been happy ever since because I, I, I feel I'm giving back to the school that gave so much to me. All right. So this is what we really want to talk about is most of much of my work, I guess, speaking over the years, the last decade or so has been around this, uh, sometimes around the issue of teacher burnout, exhaustion. Uh, as you would know, there are people who give and give and give, and they're not feeling um, they're not being replenished. So it leads to a kind of cynicism and exhaustion. How have mm-hmm. you managed to navigate that? Oh, that's a good question. Look, I think um, Jonathan, I have other interests outside interests. And I think that keeps me balanced. Um, You know, I put a lot into school, as all the teachers I work with do, but I also have outside interests, which sort of um, I can can look to over the weekend or the holidays to to provide that balance. Um, So, And that's very important because I think these days, you know, people, teachers do put in a lot. Uh, and more, more is expected of them. Uh, so there can be that burnout if you don't take absolute care of yourself and, and be aware of, of what you're doing and how much you're doing and when to step back. Yeah, crucial. It's uh, the self-care 
piece is mm. is massive. Sometimes in seminars, I used to you know joke with people, you know, show of hands, who's outrageously lavished extravagant self care on themselves in the last <laughs> week, and you just get this sound of crickets where. Uh, you know, people are like, and, and also I think you make a good point, The especially in Australia at the moment, the curriculum is so crowded mm, that mm-mm. it's just, you know, the time that teachers need just to think, to replenish, to read is to just read harder or, and harder. Yeah, to read for pro- professional purposes, but also to read to nourish your own mind because I'm an English teacher and I'm always talking and using words and, and I want more of that so that I can give more. Um, so, you know, I think a teacher is never off on the weekend. We'll read the paper. Oh, there's an article I could cut out or there's something I could refer to yeah. that's topical. We, it's the nature of our profession that we're always looking for something immediate or relevant or topical so that yeah. we can bring it to the class. Yeah, and I think one of the other big challenges sometimes that I talk about is often educational experts and people in government have a thought bubble and before you know it, that thought bubble is a new area of curriculum and then uh, it's kind of we're just expecting teachers to just, it's just cramming that curriculum. You know, it's sometimes it's hard to to just have that space and that time to just to really go deep on topics and to, especially in literature. So, and on that, what what do you love to teach in literature? Oh, well, well, I'm teaching Year 7 and Year 10 at the moment. So, again, we're doing the classic To Kill a Mockingbird, uh, um, which is a fantastic book. And I, I must have read it about, you know, five times. I reread it each year to see what else I can get out of it. And I came across this most beautiful phrase recently when Scott, a scout is talking about her growing up. And she talks about the um, routine contentment of her childhood and I'd never struck that phrase before, had never noticed it before, but it really resonated this yeah. time. Um, so we're also looking at 12 Angry Men. And in Year 7, we're doing a great little novel called The War That Saved My Life about um, evacuees from London uh, during World War II and the little, little heroine um, who overcomes lots of obstacles there. So they're, they're great books to study, the classics and contemporary. Yeah, I think uh, as you were talking, I I did double major English in year 12 and uh, we did a lot of Shakespeare. We had a great teacher and one of our real joys was diligently studying all the best Shakespearean insults. The mastery of Shakespearean insults was a crucial part of my Catholic English literature formation. So <laughs> yes. I've just um, I've just started with my daughter. Somebody really got me onto this idea of the Harvard classics, which right, is uh, – yeah. Apparently, you can get it done in a year. So she's 13 at a Catholic high school, and she's just starting on Benjamin Franklin. So we'll see how we go. But uh, oh, good, good, so, cram it in. <laughs> yeah. Well, so tell us what are you what are you most enjoying at the moment with working with young people as a Catholic educator? What gives you most life? What do you enjoy about working with young people? Well, I think still there's a lot of hope in young people. I think, you know, you've always got to look at, at their hope, at their, at their sense of, you know, we have got a future and we're going to take it. The other thing about young people is they are much more activist than we ever were. Um, they, they're really taking on board lots of issues. Perhaps they don't know the, the, the depth and the, uh, the sort of intricacies of some of these issues, but they're taking them on board. And I think over the course of a couple of generations, we will see a better kind of world because of that. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's, yeah that's a good point. There's a huge, there's a big shift, isn't there? It's been interesting to say when it, it actually really shift. started to kick in. Um, yeah. I was reading a pretty scholarly piece today on the risks of ideology and and one of these professors was making the point that one of the best services we can give young people is to help them grasp the nuances of complex topics. I mean, uh, a lot of our media culture and social media culture simplifies and energizes things as though they're, they're incredibly straightforward, but the older we get in life, we realise that there's um, there's more grey than we once thought in some things, and there's a lot of nuance. Oh, it certainly and, is with me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, a lot of um, a lot of there's complexity. And I think it it behoves us to to get step that out for our our students as best we can because they tend to take the big picture and not get the subtlety. So that's one of our jobs to tease things out and and to highlight things and, and to be a a moderator in some ways. Yeah. Um, because sometimes the kids can go like a bullet a gate at things and maybe they need to be stepped back so it's a little bit more thought through. 
So what keeps you there at the moment? So when you get up in the morning and you think about, you wake up and you're going, I'm, I'm going into work today, what keeps you involved with Catholic education? I think my commitment to certainly the sisters who founded this school, I've got a, a big commitment uh, to them and what they did. So that that is is certainly part of it. Also, I think this idea of, of a community of, of faith and belief and worship. And I like to think of all the good things the church does. I know we have had some terrible and justifiably a bad press for many things, but I also always want to highlight the good things and the good ordinary people who do who keep us going, you know, the volunteering, the Vinnies, the Caritas, um, you know, the people who collect on Sundays, all the good nuns and priests and and, and all the people who, who, who in many unsung ways are the glue of our, our Catholic community. So what I get up for in the morning is, yes, I teach my subjects, but I also try to teach a little bit of who I am and, and, and give some life lessons about trying to be a good person without being overly preachy, uh, but, but just talk about faith when it comes up in a, in a relevant sort of way. And, you know, I do talk about being at this school and, and that formative influence, and I hope in some ways I'm a little bit formative for some of the girls as well. They might remember something, you I know. Think so. yeah. I think they will. I think what you're talking about is modelling, and there's, there's so much stuff in the church documents on education around, you know, one thing that really struck me reading those documents over the years was this idea of environment. They said that if you think of a Catholic school, you know, there's a Genesano there, you've got the buildings, you've got the rooms. Mm. you could have students in there and you can have desks and chairs and you could have big screens with piped in educational content. But oh. if you take the teachers out of the school, well, you, you don't have a lot left. You, you don't really have a school. And the, no. the documents are really interesting because they say it's, it's, the, it's the teachers that actually create the environment in a school. And so, oh, absolutely! Yeah. Uh, create that 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 climate. Um, I think it's a, and we Jen try to create this climate of hope and possibility and and innovation and 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 thinking. And of course, we always talk about the relational aspects. We're not just delivering a curriculum. We have a little human being in front of us um, with all their their flaws and foibles and joys and um, changing moods and upbeat and downbeat and everything, but they are a person in front of us. So we've got to be quite aware that we're not just delivering a topic, we're we're bringing a person to a a new idea. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's about that perspective on what we think a human person actually is. Mm-hmm. So yes. I, I, I used to, in seminars, I used to say, you know, if you look at the worst of the 20th century, if you look at the, the gulags of Soviet Russia, if you look at the worst of World War II, mm-hmm. ultimately what it boils down to is, is a terribly impoverished vision of the dignity of persons. So what's mm-hmm. beautiful about mm-hmm. Catholic education is that if we have that deep, rich, view of the person of young people made in the image of God, then we relate to them in a particular way. Um, It's easy for me to say that. I often think, you know, even in a family with three young kids, it's like come home and it's like, dear Lord, help me to see the beauty and you've made them in your image. And most of the time we get there. Yeah, Jonathan, so, and you know, not not every class is wonderful. There are there are days when it, it's not as as buoyant and brilliant as you'd hope. But but that's that's the human being, and we all we all come together and and we learn to be um, forgiving of each other a little bit because you know that's the nature of, of who we are. What moves you? What sort of if you look at the challenges you think young people and young women specifically in your context there face, what what moves your heart? What breaks your heart for young people at the moment? What do you think are the real issues that that concern you or upset you? Well, what I, I suppose what breaks my heart is is sometimes the lack of of confidence that that young people can have, boys or girls, um, because of because of social media. I, I think that there's a an awful um, template out there that they've got to look or sound or be or belong or buy or consume or whatever, uh, and that can be very, very hard on a developing young person um, without, you know, parents and teachers and, and other strong adults being able to counter that. 
I think I never had to, to worry about how I looked when I was growing up. I just grew up and I played netball and I had fun and I had friends and it was all pretty normal. These days, I think there are so many inputs to our, our children that they're trying to sort of uh, touch and taste them all and, 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 and they don't know where they are. Um, mm. I, I think it's very hard these days to negotiate adolescence. Um, so I'm very mindful of that, that in our Catholic schools, we have time for, for prayer, for meditation, for discussion, uh, for those things that, that give us a bit of downtime to, to just be still if necessary or to talk through an issue that, that, that might be percolating. Yeah. I've, I've said in so many podcasts over the years that, you know, one of the mistakes we can make in, I guess, youth evangelization is to try and out-entertain the most entertained culture in history, which is like... <laughs> You know, for, for a long time it was how can we, you know, I guess what I'm getting at is that the beautiful gifts of silence, contemplation, stillness, that was mm. the, that's the strength, you know, because it's the countercultural mm. thing that so many young people aren't getting. But, um, look, I'm learning. My daughter's 13 and uh, it's, uh, it's a constant discussion. She doesn't have a phone and believe it or not, she doesn't want one at this stage. So... And she well, says that, to me, "That's fabulous." Yeah, it's that's pretty a cool. success, Jonathan. Yeah. You know? Well, it's mm. um, the you know the mantra that I often have with her is, I say, you know, darling, I say, there's not a lot of upside. I said, there's for what it is, it's uh, especially on the social media side. There's there's for young people. There's um, you know, I question that you know, like there's just especially for girls at the moment. It's 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 challenging. Mm. So it, it um, is challenging. I wanted to ask you in a highly technocratic secular culture how mm -hmm. do you help young women encounter the person of jesus what do you think is effective what do you think can work in helping highly secularized you know in a very technocratic culture how do you think mm -hmm. catholic schools can do a good job reaching young people with the person of jesus and the message of faith i think what we do well uh, is do things that are of um, a justice nature, uh, collecting, um, provide fundraisers, those sorts of things, and always linking it back to the message of the gospel, you know, when I was hungry, um, those sorts of things. I think we do that very well. I think sometimes the girls get and, and people get very hands-on with, with the fundraising and they do that because they they care about the cause. And we have to deliberately draw it back to the yeah. Jesus message, to the gospel yeah. imperative of loving God and loving neighbour. Um, and that is hard in this, this secularist, pluralist world, but it is, our, it is our, our job and our duty and our joy in some ways to try and bring it back to, to that, that first example um, of, of Jesus and, and what he offered. What do you think he was like? Oh, well, that's, that's a really good question. Um, I think he was fair. Um, I, I think he was probably short, I, I, you know, I, and, and swarthy. He was a, a Semite after all. Uh, I think he probably had loving, loving brown eyes. Um, I think he listened. I think he didn't always have to be number one talking guy. Um, I think he had the capacity to listen and discern and, and had humility. So um, his leadership model, well, that servant leadership model, was exactly who he was. So it wasn't all, always about, it wasn't nothing about being the, big and the big, biggest and best. It was much more considered and deliberate and kind and, and shy. Um, but there was something great going on. Yeah. Have you, so that's um, the sort of Jesus I, I believe in. Have you seen any of the Chosen series? No, no, uh, I haven't. No. Okay, no. it's going to mess you up. i put that on my list. <laughs> yes, and for anyone listening, I know many people have seen it. So the Chosen is a free, though you have the option to contribute. Um, it's like a Netflix binge series about Jesus. Oh, and right, okay. It is, it is off the scale amazing so it's not on netflix it's an app so if you've got you can you get it almost as an app from an app store mm -hmm. called the chosen you can find it on the internet oh, too but honestly 
it's pass just, that on to our to I, our RE superiors. Well, I was listening to you talking, and I thought I watched the first episode, and you know. Uh, I'm not old school, but I'm sort of, you know, people see me as quite a, you know, man's man, but I was messed up watching the first episode. I was like, I was like, oh. it was deeply, deeply moving. There's a scene there at yes. the start where he reveals just his relationship with, um, his, with Mary Magdalene. It was just extraordinary. So there's, yeah, it's, it's been quite profound listening to you talk about your perception of him. It resonated having watched that. So there's, there's some homework for everybody. Oh, look, Jonathan, I'll have to sign up for it, yes. because And I think, you know, the more the various um, ways we can get people to access their own spirituality or their own understanding, it's, it's never a one-size-fits-all. Um, and we also understand in Catholic education that some will be with us straight away, some will reject and come back later, some will find another way. And I suppose the big thing is that, in our schools, we are invitational and, and no longer dogmatic. So it's much more inclusive and, and, and receptive to where the students are and in trying to provide answers for them there's at, a great their, quote, at their particular stage. Yeah, there's a, there's a great quote from John Paul too who beautifully said that uh, the Catholic Church proposes, she never imposes. Mm, always liked yes. always liked that line. It was, uh, But I think there's a responsibility there too. We've got to get as effective as we can be at proposing the message of faith. Mm. And um, I often think yes. beauty's got a lot to do with that. I think, you know, the ability, beautiful art, beautiful music, a, a chance oh. to represent that that message, that, that experience of God through that. I, I think that's absolutely important, you know, looking at, at the great paintings, The Prodigal Son by Rembrandt or, or The Last Supper or... Uh, any number of, of paintings or, or, or beautiful music that can take to, can take you away from the, the temporal realm and put you somewhere else and put you in in that godly space. Uh, yeah. I'm a great one for that. I'm, I, I can waste a lot of time looking at, at, at beautiful paintings and, and reading um, John O'Donoghue, who's one of my favourite writers. Um, mm. uh, you know, just, just Joan Chittister, I, I love some of the, the common sense of these people um, and the way that you, you can be lifted. Uh, you can be lifted by anything if you want to be. So true. It's, it's, I love listening to you because I remember 1994, I was in Liverpool in England and I was doing a gap year. And I like to say to people that I was over there drinking professionally for Australia. And, um, <laughs> yeah. and I, I, I can promise you that I, I didn't darken the, the doorstep of too many churches at that time in my life. And I ended up, but I still had a love for, uh, for art and for beauty as a sort of I'd been mm. exposed to as a kid. And I walked into the Liverpool uh, Metropolitan Gallery and I was wandering around and all of a sudden I walked in this little room and there's this one large, large painting. Um, of Daniel in the lion's den and this thing just hit me between the eyes and now years later I bought one I got a huge framed one of it but mm -hmm. I remember being incredibly struck by it at that stage in my life and it's mm. it's it's by a French painter called Britton Riviere and I remember seeing it thinking Daniel standing there and the lions are cowering and it's beautifully presented because you can tell that the lions can see something behind him that Daniel can't see. And the lions are like, uh -oh. and I was really moved by that. So at a point in my life, even when I wasn't particularly open to faith, the ability yeah. of beautiful religious art to, to move me was profound. And I think that can happen at any age, Jonathan, because more recently, oh, it might have been 10 years ago, I was in London and uh, popped into the National Gallery, as I always do, and I came across this most beautiful painting of the Holy Family yeah. um, by a, a chap called Federico Barocci, and it was, it, was, um, it was called Our Lady and the Family with a Cat, and it was Jesus and John the Baptist and Joseph and Mary, and they were smiling and laughing at the carryings on of a little cat, and I just loved it because it yeah. was it wasn't sort of stiff or posed. It was just happy domesticity. Yeah. Um, and I'd never, you know, so that was that's in fact by my desk. I've got it laminated by my desk now. And just a, a happy, a happy family as they were. Well, let me ask you the important thing because there is some big news. You uh, you've been busy. Oh yes, Jonathan. Look, I'm always I've, because I'm an English teacher. I'm, I've always been a bit of a scribbler, and uh, so I've got a, a book coming out in August called "Blessed" or "Blessed: uh, Meditations on a Life of Small Wonders." 
and it's, a, a, as I call it, a potpourri or a miscellany of musings, uh, some of which are about faith, but there's life, there's travel, there's education, poetry, writing, my first kiss, family memories, Paris, London, Boston. It's just a whole lot of stuff, some of which has been published um, a couple have been published in the mainstream media and are sort of expanded or changed a bit, and a lot of it's completely new. And I suppose it's just because faith and life are the, uh, and, and, and the, the word um, are what get me going. Uh, and, of course, I love to show the girls when I'm teaching that I'm writing. So it's that modelling um, that comes through. Have you got a copy in your hands yet? Have you had them back from the distributor? No, 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 not yet. Um, I, I think that'll be in, in July. The, the launch, the official launch is in August, so it's a little while away, but I have signed off on the uh, the forward and the font and the dedication of just did that last week. Um, and, I'm, and it was the first time I'd worked closely with an editor, which was a great lesson for me, yep. um, never too old to learn. You know, because I can waffle, I can go on a bit. So sometimes you need someone else just to say, that's enough, or can you add a bit more? So, you know, another eye, another critical friend, really useful. So I'm, but I'm very happy, Jonathan, with Blessed. Uh, I think it'll be a good read. I think it'll take people to some other places. Um, it's probably a book to dip into gently and quietly. Um, there's a bit of poetry, there's a bit of silliness, whimsy. Uh, it's me. And uh, <laughs> where, did it, where did the idea come from? Tell us about why you decided to do it. Well, well, I had a book published or about 10 years ago, The Secret Garden of Spirituality, uh, which sold pretty well. Um, and I suppose as a writer, uh, I'm always looking for avenues to be published. I think that's the reality if, if you want to write. So I, I have a couple of, I've got a little regular column in Australian Catholics and uh, so I suppose I'm just trying to enlarge and, and, and get a, a larger audience in yeah. some way. So there's some sort of compulsion both to write and write well, but also um, there is nothing more gratifying than someone coming up to you or emailing you and just saying, I loved what you said yeah. or I, I cut that out or I put it on the fridge or I passed it on to a friend or I read it at a staff meeting. So sometimes even though we're scribbling away, sometimes the spirit is behind us and enabling us just to say something good that will catch someone's heart. Yeah. Um, and other times it's a bit clunk, clunk. But, you know, so this this book, Blessed, is um, it's a meditation on, on, on a good life that I've had. I've been blessed with, um, and it, it goes through the ups, up, ups and not many downs, but ups and downs of, of, um, of, of my life. It's a part memoir um, and, and just my faith journey. And, you know, it talks about stained glass windows and, and pilgrimages. It talks about motherhood and, and Mary. It talks about the nuns that I was at school with. It talks about friendships and family and, and surviving COVID. I, you know, we try to make it reasonably um, topical parts of it. But some of these pieces were written quite a while ago and are, are being published for the first time. So there is that sense of evolving, the evolving person, if you like, um, as I, you know, go, as I come and grown up and been a student and a university and travelled and worked and this is where you find me today. What's your favourite part of the book? Oh, that's very interesting. Uh, look, it's really hard to say. There's a little poem I've written um, about uh, sparrows, which uh, it's a cheerful little thing and it's about sparrows being prayerful little, little choristers in some way that remind me that the ordinary person in being cheerful contributes to the world. So, and uh, so, um, you know, there, there are lots of different things. There's, there's a, uh, some ruminations on the nature of writing, you know, going to the library and, and, and amazing yourself sometimes when you look at your own word and think, did I really write that? And then thanking God because your brain is really working yeah. and, and you've got something um, that's enabled you just to grasp a few, few ideas, a few phrases, put them together, and they're quite lovely. Uh, without big noting, you know, sometimes we all manage something lovely. And, and you know, that's, that's I'm hoping some of this and, and the small wonders of our own lives 
uh, resonate with readers. So good. Where do you where do you do your writing? Oh well, mainly at uh, libraries. Uh, mm. So it's the Baldwin Library or the State Library of Victoria. Sometimes in the holidays, I will go up to Bendigo to my sisters. Uh, sometimes in cafes. Look, not so much at home because home is busy, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So it's, I've got to find got to find a room of my own, but that's usually a quiet room at uh, you know in a library. Uh, the State Library I love. I have a particular spot where I sit whenever I go in there, and 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 it's pretty good because people are quiet, and I can just sit there and and, and immerse myself. So do you, um, do you ever walk in there and someone's sitting in your spot? Not often because I make sure <laughs> I get missed if they work. Yeah, exactly. I get in, I get, I get in there at 10, So, and, and I'm one of these ones that really walks very quickly to make sure no one else yeah, gets yeah. my spot. Um, and I think people are like that. They begin to recognise and nod, you know, oh, that's the lady, that's that odd lady who sits in that spot all the time. Yeah. yeah. You know, that, that's part of the, um, the deal. You sort of you, you get to know who's who in the zoo. Yeah, no, the reason I ask you, because when I was writing, I was kind of similar. I kind of have a, a – libraries are just such the, the best place to write most of the time. And mm-hmm. uh, you, you do get very set in your ways. You're kind of like, no, you can't sit there. That's my seat. That's where I sit. <laughs> I'm writing a masterpiece. Get out. Um, yeah, that's right. We get a bit precious, Jonathan, I think. We do. About, we, do we do get a little bit set in our ways, apparently, so yeah. I'm told. I, I don't know. Yeah. Who can't, um, well, it's, so, a, it's the same at Mass. You, I have a particular mm-hmm. spot at, at my local parish church yeah. where I have been sitting for a long time and you know I get a bit well if someone's sitting there and so I try to get there a good time so I mean of course I can compromise but it's a certain side and it's a certain at at the back bit hidden (laughs) I I think it justifies the Catholic doctrine of purgatory someone sits in your spot at church that's an extra thousand years in purgatory for them right there I know I totally resonate because I've been getting yeah. to adoration again a bit lately. We've got a beautiful church nearby that has a lot of Eucharistic adoration. And, yeah, uh-huh. just like you, I've got a spot. I've got an exact yeah. spot. And, um, you know, you, you go in there sometimes and someone's there and you're like, you can't. No, what are you doing? You can't be there. That's my spot. And um, and it's interesting and yeah. because so many people at my, my local church, uh, Holy Redeemer, they, um, they, have sit, they are all sitting in the same seats too for years. Yeah. For years, yep. my, my dear, well, I've got a dear friend who does the prayers of the faithful. She and her husband always sit in a certain spot. Another family, some <laughs> couple of girls I've taught, they're there, and this, you know, and and it's really interesting. And people just sort of know, and and we're yep. always doing the the, the handshake of the, the kiss piece, you know. And it's the same. You're nodding, or, or well, these days we don't, we're nodding at the moment. Yeah, we're not yeah. we're not shaking hands, um, but you know, it's the same faces, and you know, you just that's community too. Totally resonate, and it's um. I think, you know, some of these things are a chance to grow in holiness. Because if I go to, if I go to adoration, sometimes you sit there and it's, you know, you, you, I love the silence, right? It's dead quiet. Mm. But then someone will breathe loud, and you'll be there going, "Why are you breathing so loud?" And they're going, "Hang on, <laughs> I'm supposed to be here growing in holiness, and here I am, oh, no, myth about this I person know. breathing too loud. What I know. do you think they're doing? I, 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 I don't know about." Whole, I mean, we all, we're all trying to be better people, but uh, we, we fail a lot. We do. <laughs> we do a great deal. It's one of the, yeah, now I want to ask you, what, um, what do you hope the book accomplishes for people that, uh, that read it? I hope that when they read it, they will be thankful for the lives they have and they will look to, uh, to God to be thankful. It's, a, it's got a Catholic orientation and Christian orientation, but it is for the general reader. But I am hoping anyone who picks this up will say, well, this woman's got some common sense. She's telling her story with with gratitude um, and with joy and a bit of a a pep in a step mainly. And they'll say, oh, look, I like that phrase. I'll write that down. And maybe they'll share the words yeah. Uh, with other people, so I hope it's a book that's that's passed around, and and um, I suppose it's a book who said that if anyone picked it up and they know me, they'll say, "Yep, that's Anne. <laughs> that's yeah. exactly who she is." Um, so there's that authenticity, I think, uh, in it. I think you make a really good point before where you say that you know sometimes it's just the smallest things, a particular piece of writing that. You know, a, a thousand people could read it, but the Holy Spirit eventually uses it to impact 
a particular, and I think it's something that I've been calling for years, God's economy. And I say to people that uh-huh. hu- human economy is always around the idea that bigger is better. So more is better than less. Uh, uh-huh. More famous is better than less famous. You know, bigger is better than smaller. But I often think that God's economy, you know, he looks at what we do in, in our humble attempt to cooperate with grace. Yeah. And I, I don't think there's a lot of difference between some of the big fancy things that can be done in the kingdom of God and and turning out a great phrase that shifts somebody's life in a fraction different direction. Oh, I couldn't I couldn't agree more, Jonathan. And in fact, the opening it it, it does it talks about you know the, the incremental and and the shy and um, instead of the, the the biggest and the brightest, it's all about. Small, small things rather than a triumphal, you know, um, breastbeating, you know, better. Uh, yeah. So it is, it is about noticing, uh, listening, leaning in, um, looking at, at, at the bunch of roses. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it, is, it is perhaps the smaller, more ordinary things that we sometimes dismiss that can give us joy. They are, they are our days. Yeah. You know, I can think of a few key moments in life where somebody said something in passing that kind of that was a throwaway line that can really stick and stay with you and move you in a new direction. So mm, mm. I, I guess that's what prayer's about. I guess if we try to grow in grace and sacrament and prayer, that we're at least allowing the Holy Spirit a bit more of a shot at moving us in the right direction to help other people, right? Oh, absolutely. And and you know, sometimes I'll say to the girls, look, last night I sat in my chair and I did the examine. And uh, I sort of went through my day and I tried to sort myself out a bit. Did I do something well? Did I do it badly? Could I do it better? Can I be forgiven? Thanks for this day. And I'll try again tomorrow. Um, So I I, I don't rattle on about prayer, but I do talk about the the importance of, of, of those moments of stillness where you just are with yourself and with God and you have a sifting and sorting. Mm. I always like the quote from Basil Pennington, who's a great master of contemplative prayer, and he famously said his advice for prayer was pray as you can, not as you can't. Oh, yeah, yeah, good one. Yes, exactly. I always, I always I, like that. So true. And and I'd say to the girls, you know, girls, um, God doesn't worry about grammar or punctuation. He, the yeah. intention in the heart comes first, and it doesn't matter if it's stumbling or inarticulate. He knows what you need. Yeah, and I think it's one of the great things about the Catholic faith is that we have so many amazing men and women saints mm. whose spirituality was so remarkably different. You've got your, you know, your cerebral um, military Ignatius, and then you've got your Therese of Lisieux, and yeah, yeah, they're both having these profound experiences of faith and prayer you know just in very different spiritualities so Mm, mm, mm. now as we wrap up um i wanted to ask Mm -hmm. you a couple of last things uh yes we're going to put links to the book in the show notes and on the website but it's is it with laneway press laneway press yes uh that's based in abbotsford in uh victoria uh it'll be launched in august um so yes it's blessed meditations on a life of small wonders and i'm very thrilled that my sister fiona um has done the cover art so it's a little bit of a a family effort yeah Uh, so i'm really hoping that it will it will it will sell well um but it'll people will take a, a bit of my heart to them and it 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 might just go out and and, and good words uplifting words affirming yeah. words um nothing too heavy it's it's not a philosophical treatise it's just some words from as it says on the blurb a woman who's trying to wise up wow so good all right so it's laneway yeah. press blessed and we'll put links directly to it um last Thank couple you, of questions um yeah what are you looking forward to in the the remaining time you have in education May it be long, by the way. Oh, yes, I hope, it's, I hope I've got a few years left. Uh, look, I think there will be changes. I think there will be um, – uh, I'm hoping that things will be less regimented and more workshop-like. Um, you know, I think that needs to be done. I think sometimes we kids sit in classes 
that where they are not engaged or it's just something that they will never take with them. So if we can start get to an educational stage where we're finding what the gifts and talents are earlier and it's a bit more invitational, um, you know, I know there are basics which must be learned. I'm ever, for, you know, for literacy, um, but I'm hoping it won't be quite so um, timetabled. You know, there yeah. might be room for later starts and and workshops and maybe four days a week there might be, you know, the odd Zoom lesson at home. Um, there, are, there are ways we could do this better. I certainly think the importance of a campus uh, is essential, though. Uh, I think that the whole idea of a school is we are a community, so we mustn't lose that. But there are ways of loosening loosening some ties which enable people to come back. Uh, you're onto something because uh, one of the other hats I wear in another business is um, around global macro finance and crypto economics and blockchain strategy. And uh, oh. one of the things we look at is you know, the highly disruptive nature of technology in general. And mm-hmm. education is, as you know, already being disrupted by it and it's going to happen more. But, and it's a big but, I think you make a crucial point about the need for campus-based human interaction. Mm. You know, we as yep. a species, we've been hominids for multiple millions of years and we've evolved to be together. And mm. yes. there's only we so much Zoom. Other. 100%. There's only so much <laughs> Zoom you can do. That's right. Yeah. And um, all right, my last question is going to be this is a challenging one. Okay. Oh, okay. Finish on this. And there's no presumption, and I think it's a good question is uh, what would you like your legacy to be in your journey of Catholic education? If you you could have some influence or some sense of summarizing the legacy you'd like to have had in your journey, what would it be? I think I would like in 40 years' time when the girls are having a bit of a a reunion saying, I remember what Mrs Rennie said or she had some good ideas or do you remember when she said that? And she was consistent. She was was kind. She um, did her best for us. And I suppose with the books, I suppose my, and this is perhaps a little ego, I, I want my words to live beyond me. I, I want my daughter to be proud of my granddaughter and great-granddaughter to have a copy of, of, of the books and, and, and things that I've written and they'll say, wow, wow, that, that makes good sense or, or that is, if not profound, it, it's common sense. So I suppose in a life we always want to leave something, so something of your heart and something of who you are and, uh, yes, that, that's what I would hope, that so my... my my legacy is 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 something of me that was good that people can remember fondly. Wow, hmm. it's so it's almost profoundly countercultural now because so much of our culture is about you know look at me, validate me, notice mm. me. But I think yeah. what's beautiful yeah. in what you're saying and what's central to the heart of a Catholic teacher is how do I contribute? How do I pass on? encouragement and mm, blessing mm, um how mm. do i you know steve jobs used to talk about putting a dent in the universe which i think is a bit of hubris but i think if we can um i don't think we need to worry about dents in the universe but i think if we can send out some ripples of encouragement and participate Absolutely. in the well participate mm. in the love of god right like participate in mm. what he's trying to do in in, in the cosmos i guess yeah, well, we're part of that, that continuum. You know, uh, John Henry Newman talks about being part of the continuum, and that, that's exactly what I am. I'm part of the Catholic continuum. I am proud to be a Catholic, to pass on what I know and, and just to do my best. I'm just, a, as he says, I'm a link in a chain. So good. And I'm thinking also on that of Chesterton's famous Democracy of the Dead. When you, were, when you started talking about the sisters that taught you all those years ago, um, mm. They get a vote in Chesterton's idea of the democracy of the dead. It's that all of those that came before us in the in the Catholic faith and in the Catholic education, they get a vote in the sense that their legacy is something that mm. we could be proud of continuing too. So oh, absolutely, I, like I, I love it that I can can do the work of the of, of the order, the faithful companions of Jesus, and and just you know talk about our foundress and and talk about the good things that she did and 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 that story is retold in our classes and some of it will link on and, and the girls understand well this is 
who we are. This is our, our inheritance um, in faith. So what can we take forward? So good. So can people find you anywhere else or should they be looking at Laneway Press or do you have an annrenny.com or anywhere else uh, people can find you? Um, look, there's uh, really at Laneway Press is the best, um, Rennie on Instagram, yeah. um, also on LinkedIn. Um, I've recently rejoined Facebook, but that's a Ooh. bit, woo. Um, so, look, I'm, I'm, I'm not... Uh, in uh, you know so yeah i'm just i'm just learning all this stuff again yeah. um for promotion of the book and it, it's it's, so it's fantastic the publisher is really helping me with some of these these new things that i'm not so familiar with uh so so i'm rounded about and google google okay. you can google me and i'm you know i come up we'll find you okay it's interesting <laughs> yes. you know facebook you would you probably don't know this but i had um i had 2000 catholic teachers in a facebook group and oh, wow. about Two years ago, I went to log in. Eighteen months ago, couldn't get in. Um, banned the whole thing. Just Facebook shut it down. And I can promise on my father's grave that mm. whole thing, that whole Facebook group, didn't had never had the slightestly contentious thing about anything. It was nothing but encouragement and motivation. And someone at Facebook just decided that um, there was no space for Catholic teachers on Facebook. So I've never been able to get back in. So I never even got to say goodbye. Oh, so uh, they're interesting a, tools. Yeah, aren't they? And, and, and yeah. we have to be uh, alert um, as to, as to how, that they, how they can stop uh, yeah. discussion and stop dialogue, um, you know, and we have to alert our, our, our students to the fact that, you know, some of these things are... Uh, if not dangerous, they can stop the civility or, or, or the dialogue we need yeah. uh, between each other. Um, so it's, it's interesting. Yeah, we have to tread carefully. Yeah. But on a happy note, Anne Rennie, author of new book from Laneway Press, Blessed, thank you so much for making time for us today and really best oh, of luck with the launch. Thank you very much, Jonathan. And, and thanks for all you've done for Catholic education over the years. Thank you, Jonathan. It's been a pleasure and I hope to be doing much more over the next, the coming few years too. Awesome. Thanks, Anne. Well, hey, everybody, Jonathan back with you again. I really hope you enjoyed that discussion. I think Anne's uh, got so much to offer and I really look forward to getting a copy of that book. And I really encourage you to go and check out Laneway Press and make sure you get a pre-order in. I think it's going to be a wonderful resource for many Catholic teachers and a great gift, I think, for, for those special people in your life. So that's it for this episode. Please make sure you've subscribed. Hit that big subscribe button. Share this with other Catholic teachers who could be encouraged by Anne's energy and enthusiasm and her story of Catholic education. That's it from me. My name's Jonathan Doyle. This has been the Catholic Teacher Daily Podcast, and we'll have another message for you very soon.